0: Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G 2 Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and
1: thank you for joining me. Again, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host for the next hour. In case you're tuning in for the first time, welcome to the Talent Talk Radio Show. And basically how this works is we feature a wide range of guests who care about talent and are uniquely talented themselves. So on this show, we talk about talent in those two ways. First, as it relates to success and uncovering the secrets of really talented people. And second, we talk about talent in relation to human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates today. So hopefully, that makes sense. You see how the word uh, talent has a couple different meanings in the business world, and we will try to do our best to explore those two areas, as well as hopefully have an impact uh, on on how talented individuals can can really change and uh, impact their own company culture in a positive way. My guests typically include CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR executives, recruiters, coaches. Thought leaders, authors, but we've kind of really expanded the list since we first started the show. But uh, generally what happens is I'm out at networking events or industry conferences, and I try to corner whoever the smartest person in the room is and and find out all their secrets. And so I decided to create this radio show to allow you to listen on our dialogue and hopefully learn some practical advice that will impact your own career. Before I get to my uh, guest today, I want to thank those of you tuning in live don't we'll forget, you can uh, submit your questions and suggestions via Twitter. Just tweet to at PeopleG2. Use that hashtag TalentTalk, all one word. My producer, Mike, will feed me the best questions, and we'll try to stump, I mean, uh, get them over to the to the guests. So, Don't forget, uh, you can also listen uh, via the podcast on iTunes. That's how most people actually interact with us. They catch the podcast later on. We are up to 101,000, uh, just over that mark, uh, for subscribers on the podcast feed. We thank those of you who are tuning in, listening. Uh, especially if you're doing it uh, while you're doing something else a little less fun, maybe like walking on the treadmill or something we can make things go a little faster for you. Keep checking us out, and uh, let's go ahead and get today's show started. My guests uh, t- today are Nicole Cox. She's the Chief Recruiting- Recruitment Officer excuse me, for Decision Toolbox, and uh, Joe, is it Scotto? Is that right? All right. Joe Scott, I haven't messed any names up yet today, Uh, HR Director for Merrill Corporation. Joe will be uh, hopefully joining me at the second half of the show. Now let's get to our first guest, uh, Nicole Cox. So, Nicole, welcome to the show.
2: Great. Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
1: So tell us a little about yourself, uh, your background, and uh, of course your company, Decision Toolbox.
2: I married my husband and my employer 11 years ago, so great things happened 11 years ago. (laughs) Prior to Decision Toolbox, I uh, was an entrepreneur. That's how I fell into recruitment. Uh, My ex-husband and I had real estate and mortgage offices uh, throughout Orange County. And for him, I was doing marketing. And um, when you're an entrepreneur, you're also recruiting for your own company. Sure. Um, And the recruitment bug got me. I haven't met a recruiter yet who uh, went out to become a recruiter. They um, usually just fall into it. And (laughs) I did the same. And... So about 14 years ago, I really started focusing. It really became a career path for me, and I now oversee uh, recruitment operations for Decision Toolbox. That includes all the advertising, sourcing, uh, recruiting, quality, and training. I have great leaders in those departments. I was the first virtual recruiter for Decision Toolbox wow. el- 11 years ago. Wow! And um, when I first met Kim Shepard, she said, you know, one of these days you're going to oversee my operations, and I thought, great, it's a recruiting operation of two, um, but we've grown leaps and bounds. We have um, 100%, 100 people in the com- company now and approximately 50 recruiters, and we are 100% virtual, and I keep a bench of um, expansion team recruiters that I can pull in at any time to help with our clients' demands um, so that we can increase our talent as they need to scale up for theirs as well.
1: Sure. And you mentioned uh, Kim Shepard. We've, we've talked about her a few times in the show, and she was actually our very first guest on the very first uh, Talent Talk radio show. And Kim has been a, a mentor to me and uh, someone who's really helped me uh, and my company grow. And we've, we've actually taken a lot of the thing great things that we talk about all the time have come from either... Uh, things you do at your company, conversations that Kim and I have had. I think I have a whole page of notes from lunch last week. Uh, she seems to always talk on those great sound bites. But maybe specifically, you know, in in having such a dynamic person like that leading you, I think it kind of pushes people to, to be their best and to, to work at their best. So what do you feel might be one of your greatest achievements there as part of the organization?
2: Mm. Kim and I were just talking about that this week, and I feel like you know, we've really created – uh, a Company that it's a love fest company
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, that is virtually impossible for a company that is um, virtual. So, th- the team that I have in place, we keep 100% of the talent that we want on our team. We really don't have turnover, um, we attract great skilled talent because of our model. And most recruiting companies churn and burn their recruiters or they right. bring in really junior recruitment junior recruiters that throw talent throw paper at their clients and my team takes a con- consultative service oriented approach to serving their clients
1: right what always so, fascinated me about your company is that not only do you have this love fest going on but at the same time it's very competitive internally
2: mm-hmm.
1: to where you know the people who are performing the best are getting fed the most amount of 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 the work Right?
2: It's interesting. Um, it, it's different than the competitive nature that you would see in what I call the, the recruiting pits, where you've got the 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 bosses around the outside and the recruiters smiling and dining in the middle. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody works as a team. Um, they do, I mean, we certainly work um, w- with key performance indicators, and the recruiters have access 24-7 to their um, performance indicators. They know exactly where they stand. Right. And we have, um, Kim likes to call it uh, the kind of the matrix, you know, the jobs come in. And they're, they're assigned based on a lot of different things. Um, recruiters niche, um, if they've worked with that client before, their mm-hmm. client satisfaction scores, and their candidate scores. So we look at a lot of different indicators right. uh, because of that. So they have to be performing well to get positions we get a lot of return business, um, and our satisfaction scores are over 96%. Mm. So, you know, our, because of the love fest and because of that team effort, there's a a competitiveness to continue to perform right, and continue to serve the clients and just always do our best.
1: Right, right. So uh, you know, if you look at uh, your your career so far as a recruiter, Mm -hmm. have you seen some maybe some real relevant changes to the recruiting industry that you might kind of talk about?
2: Absolutely, Kim talks about it all the time. She travels around and does um, different presentations, and she refers to the Meet Inc. world, where you know candidates are really discerning. Their hiring managers expect there to be a never-ending talent pool. Um, And there is a never-ending pool of candidates, but it's a very slim pool of A-players. Right. And they need to be courted.
1: And not just A-players, but A-players that fit.
2: Right. Right? I mean, that's a whole other level. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, And they need to be challenged. That seems to be much more important than money. I mean, money's important. Right. But particularly for millennials, um, they need to be challenged. Um, the other things that I've really seen change is social footprints. When I first started recruiting, which was a while ago, you know, we were going over to the Rusty Vial cabinets and going through industry books, and um, people were just starting to get online, and then they were everywhere online. They were in too many places online, they were very mm-hmm. accessible, and everybody got information overload. Um, so candidates are more savvy. They have too much to do. they've got this information overload, so you have to be creative and grab them quickly with information that really matters to them. So that takes a very creative approach, you know a branded approach, which is what we do with our our uh, process
1: right Now I, I know that kind of looking at your past, you also did uh, another company top top dog recruiters mm-hmm. so So what was that like, maybe in comparison? because yeah, there you're an entrep- strictly an entrepreneur running your own show, good, bad, or otherwise, and then I think where you are now, maybe you're you're not a quote-unquote entrepreneur, but I imagine you're pretty close. It must feel pretty close as far as the environment, as I understand it. So maybe you could talk a little bit about what the differences were or some of the challenges were. Uh, As we have so many entrepreneurs that listen to the show, they like to kind of get a good sense of what were some of the challenges you might have had there as well.
2: Funding. <laughs> Funding was the biggest right. challenge. Um, cash flow is always. Cash out flow is the biggest. Yeah. Right. Uh, the, the time that I started, it was particularly challenging, and um, I was fortunate to have a venture capitalist for one of those years. Um, the hardest part was um, really starting to understand that sales is not my gift, and what I was passionate about was finding a way to work from home. At the time, I was a single mom right. and needed to make money. And I really had great ideas. I thought about, uh, you know, working from home, training other recruiters, and building a team. And uh, about that time is when I met Kim and Jay. Uh, Jay's the other owner at uh, Decision Toolbox, and he's the founder. And they had the technology, and the process, and the sales function. And thankfully allowed me to come in and spread my my wings Mm -hmm. and really allowed me to um, use that entrepreneurial spirit that I have and really never told me how to do my job. Just they were always there as resources for me, which is what we try to do for our team.
1: Yeah. And that and that's a really kind of a different mindset. For, for most people, especially you know, if you're growing and you're small, it's really easy for everyone to get together and either making a decision by committee or getting together and the one or two owners are just sit there and tell everyone what to do. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of fascinating. And even at that very early level, they were saying, hey, here's your job. And if you need our help, let us know. But you, know, you, you have the ability and the power to, to, to make it happen yourself. Right. So uh, this is a little bit of a setup question, since I I, I know how, how, how strong of a culture your your company has. But where do you see company culture really fit into you know that equation of success? I mean, we expect employees to come in and to adapt to a culture or to adopt it as their own uh, if it's a really good one. So where do you see you know alignment really fit in on that scale? I mean, kind of knowing where you are, you, you've, you've worked in different areas, you've worked as an entrepreneur, you know, some people kind of believe, well, you, you can have people who are okay with the culture and still have a successful company. Other people come in and say, no, it's hand in hand. It's got to be great culture and people really buying in. So c- where do you sit on that spectrum?
2: Yeah, I think that, you know, you can, one, one moldy apple can spoil the bunch. Um, if someone is in a fit, that can spread cancer under the flesh of the company. Mm-hmm. And selection is really important. On the flip side, having different opinions and ideas is also key. So, by no means am I saying that a company shouldn't should be like Stepford, right? right. Um, diversity is important. It helps people grow. It helps bring new ideas to the table um, for the company and helps serve clients really well. Um, but each company has to find their own balance in that, and you have to decide if the culture you want is or the, the culture you have is the culture you want. Um, and if it's not, then you start pulling in people to help change that culture. Right. Um, for example, there was a client that we moved from one city to another. Um, we helped, you know, we filled their entire departments for them. And the hiring manager at the end of it said, this is the company I always wanted. Um, and it was that branding that we did for them and that screening process that we did um, and and that carried through the the their part of the screening process that really helped um, design what they wanted, mm-hmm. right? That you know our culture would not be a fit for everyone. It isn't a fit for everyone. Um, there's a, a picture that we use in a um, in a presentation where it has everybody in suits, but there's one person upside down and in jeans, and you know the, a person that. That works in suits every day may be fit for one company, but the person in jeans is going to be a fit for, for another. Right. Right. So you have to really think about what's working for your company and what isn't.
1: Well, and early in your kind of response, there you talked about diversity and kind of tied that to disagreements, and that's something I've talked about in my you know when I've given speeches about company culture and, and that usually people haven't thought about. That you you can get diversity in your company not through what physically or from appearance standpoint makes us different, but from what makes us different on how we think mm-hmm. and what we value and we ha- and how we approach things. And if you, I think sometimes people really look at culture being we'll get a bunch of people in here who will all kind of work the same way and and kind of flow together. And and that's not really how it works. It's more. You know, like herding cats, but you all have the same purpose. If you all have a clear, defined purpose, you know what you're doing. You have, you know, it's a love fest or whatever. You guys will have this thing that's going on, but at the same time, there should be a lot, a lot of budding heads and a lot of disagreements and crazy ideas being bounced off. I think if you're really, if you're really doing it right,
2: I think transformation comes from that diversity, right? And that's how um, it, companies become stagnant if there's not some conflict, mm-hmm. um, and you know, th- there was a way that we were doing something in our company, and we, we had always done it this way in the company. And some of the recruiters said, You know, why don't we try it this way? And we got together, we talked about it, and we said, You know, we will try it this way with the set of recruiters. And the recruiters really appreciated us doing that. We said, Okay, we're going to, we're calling it the experience. <laughs> um, and we're we're or the experiment, and we're going to try the experiment for a while and see if it works and see if it has a better outcome. Right. Um, we don't claim to have all the answers. We the the diversity and that conflict is helpful.
1: Well, and it's great too if you have, you know, members of a team or um, in that group even farther down the food chain that are coming up with those kinds of suggestions, and you're able to then process it. And, and decide if it's something worth trying and then and put that in place. Because, you know, I, I'm sure many of the people that are listening, that are leaders in organizations probably hate going to a meeting and they have a great idea and you give the great idea and everyone says yes. And I know that might sound crazy, but when everyone says yes and they just go along with it, you really wonder, is this really a good idea or is everyone just going along with me because I'm the boss?
2: Right. I call it bobbleheads. Right. Right.
1: Instead of saying, well, what about this? Or, what about that? Or, you know, I mean... I we may not end up going down this road, but somebody would say, yeah, I don't know if I agree with that." You know, okay, why? And then you start to kind of, you know, put holes in it in the idea. You know, what was it called putting holes in the boat, and then you see if it still floats at the end. You know, mm-hmm. and leaders, I think appreciate. Well, these strong leaders, I think, would definitely appreciate that type of a process. But you need people who are willing to speak their mind, who are feel comfortable enough to. To, to give feedback and that they're not going to get fired because they disagree with somebody. Right. Which is an entire process that's got to be really put in place.
2: Yeah, and it's something has to be welcome and encouraged. When I first was put into my leader role at Decision Toolbox, um, I was kind of a bobblehead, mm-hmm. honestly. I, um, I was afraid to give my opinion, and I remember Kim and our uh, COO, Lauren, called me. And kind of gave me a kick in the backside saying, you know, we hired you for this role because we wanted your opinion. And we don't want you to hold back. Right. And that that gave me the freedom to do that. And um, I've never been afraid to give it since. So they might have been sorry that they gave me that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I doubt it. I doubt it. But, um, you know, there's a a lot of recruiting firms out there. um, And we certainly understand Why Decision Toolbox is a different place to work, but why is it a different place to, uh, you know, from a client's perspective? What really makes you guys different? uh, Do you think from from a, you know, actually having positions filled type of a perspective?
2: Mm. You could probably speak to several people in our company and get several different answers. In fact, I did just that, Um, and Kim's simple answer was. or basic answer, I should say, was, you know, Jay and I got together. um, We were both headhunters, and we are, we developed the right company for the right reasons and the right price. We, you know, we've been together, we've been in business for 22 years, um, and it's been continual refinement of our process and our tools and our technology. Um, Our clients love us. If you go onto our website, you can read their quotes. Mm-hmm. But the, the point that stood out to me the most um, and continues to do so is that we charge the least amount that we can get away with. In order f- you know, for us to still deliver quality and um, with speed, other companies charge as much as they can get away with. Right. And for us, one of our goals as a company was to make companies profitable and, you know, save them money um, it, through smart, efficient, reasonably priced recruitment.
1: Yeah. And, and you guys do that not only by what you charge in your approach, but through your incredible efficiencies in the back end. You guys do some pretty amazing things with technology mm-hmm. to really cut out a lot of those kind of maybe unneeded costs and delays in time. And I know you're, you're getting ready to maybe launch uh, was the recruiting machine. Uh, you know, and there'd be some kind of real differences, you know, there as well. Uh, it's not just, okay, we're going to get person A and put them into position B. Uh, there's a, there's kind of a whole train there. And uh, I, I know we've used different firms and we've used Decision Toolbox, and uh, the process almost didn't even f- seem similar. Yeah, it was. It was complete. It's kind of like the difference between New York pizza and Chicago pizza. They're both pizza, right? But right. they're really a lot different. <laughs> right.
2: And recruiting machine has been around since before I started Decision Toolbox, and and we've had some clients use it as their own mm-hmm. um, applicant tracking system, but we've recently um, uh, revamped the the interface, right? Uh, the user interface, and it's a much easier interface. It um, it looks nicer. Um, from a hiring manager perspective, it's better. Mm -hmm. Um, It works well, whether it's a um, plug-and-play for, um, um, you know, just as a recruitment standalone um, or to to plug in with other um, HRIS.
1: Right, right. So, you know, looking back uh, at... at kind of getting off the Decision Toolbox Love Fest here, but looking at you personally, mm-hmm. um, what do you do from a leadership standpoint to try to encourage those around you to continue to grow?
2: We're an environment that believes in continuous improvement. So as a company, we believe in, um, and, and for me personally, this was something that, that I was pretty passionate about, was to have um, access to learning Mm -hmm. Um, So we provide educational opportunities on a weekly basis, and we put those into DT University um, that is on-demand availability for lessons, whether it's uh, videos or um, desktop references, those kinds of things. Um, I work with those that report to me. I work with them on on a quarterly basis to set goals, we I call them calibrations. I don't call them reviews. To me, reviews are very one-directional. Mm-hmm. Um, so I call them calibrations. I want to know what I can do better to support them. Um, I want to give them some feedback. And uh, we go over their compensation. We go over, you know, if they're hitting their goals there. We go over their metrics. And we go over their um, their personal goals and what's important to them and how i can help them reach those and we we set out a plan Mm -hmm. um, and we work on those continuously Um, just as an example there was a team member of ours earlier this year who quite frankly it looked like this model was just not going to work for her right and after we uh, worked together with her and our training team and then And she put a lot of effort in herself. And by the end of this year, at the All Staff, we announced her as a top performer. So um, she won an award for that. So the the one-on-one and and understanding what matters to that individual and what motivates them um, helps a great deal.
1: Well, I want to kind of get a a bit more uh, understanding on how you're doing that and what you're doing over there at Decision Toolbox. But we want to take our uh, first uh, commercial break here real quick. We'll be right back uh, with Nicole Cox from Decision Toolbox.
0: When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret
1: Higher. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. So those of you that have tuned in live or on the podcast to hear Nicole, you're going to get an extra special gift for Christmas, or whatever you celebrate this holiday season. Our second guest uh, had a little emergency, and so Nicole has agreed to stay on and keep talking with us today. So you're going to get twice the amount of Nicole for half the price, or well, I guess the same price, but, anyways. So we're going to pick up where we left off. Um, I, I know you were talking about this calibration idea instead of a, uh, you know, an actual review. And I think one of the areas I know I have a really hard time with, and that is, you get so busy doing the work and trying to meet your external goals that you you don't have time as a manager to go to, to do these things. So you, you say, well, I should be doing this quarterly. Or I should be doing this yearly or whatever your, 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 your standard is. So do you, do you have kind of a process in place? Is it a mindset or is it just something maybe you kind of schedule more mechanically to make sure that you're doing this? And you, I mean, you guys are growing, you have a hundred people now. How do you keep up with all that?
2: Yeah, it, it, that's a great question. And it, it does get tough. Um, so what I've been doing is, this last round because we have grown quite a bit is while i was on the phone with them for this last quarter is because the intention is to always do it quarterly um but quarters get away from us so i had them while we were on the phone grab time for the next quarter so at least it's on there it's on mm. both of our calendars we may need to move it a day or two um as that time come comes up right um but Um, and there's some people that, you know, we're working on some specific issues and so we will, um, we may meet sooner than that. Um, we may have them meeting with a mentor or a specialist to work on certain, certain goals. And so we may be meeting for some updates on that. So it's Uh, the calendar is our friend.
1: Yeah, that, that's very smart to do. I mean, uh, I remember recently with talking to our sales staff, they were kind of complaining about trying to get that first meeting after a trade show, and I said, "Everyone's got their smartphones right there. Why don't you just schedule the meeting right there at the booth? If they really want to talk to you, they mm-hmm. can schedule it." And they went, "Oh yeah," and then that's been working really well. Right. You know, people just get busy, and then you get kind of uh, it gets you know off your desk or out of your mind, and then you, it's not that you don't want to, but Next thing like you said, a quarter gets past you, then maybe half the year gets by, and they, then you, you know... get away
2: from you quickly.
1: Pretty quickly. And uh, we've always typically tried to do them yearly, but we, I find even sometimes that will get past me, especially if, for people that maybe would enjoy the process, but don't really need it, per se, they're, they're doing great, they're motivated, they seem to kind of have it all figured out, but, you know, you, you always make time for those that you feel like really need that extra help, whether it's just from a development standpoint, or there's issues, or what have you, but... Yeah, it's, um, I always wonder how people can keep up with that. It's <laughs> not, not always been my strongest point to remember to try to do those on a regular basis. So it sounds like an important part of your growth and maybe something we need to make sure we do a little better of over here. So, um, y- you know, I- I'm sure that uh, given some of the examples we've talked about, uh, creativity and passion are things that seem to come out of your organization on a pretty pretty easy basis are, are the things that you do specifically to try to make sure you're you're keeping that uh kind of flame alive I and mean, we can't all come from you know kim or, or whoever in your organization we, are the things that you do on your own to try to really make sure that those things are happening as well
2: yeah you know, as a company you know culture is is something we're striving for all the time um and keeping those uh things alive the all staff um is a big driver for that. So explain um, what the All Staff is. Yeah, we have an All Staff every year where we fly everybody in from all over the country. Again, we're 100% virtual from coast mm-hmm. to coast. And so we fly everybody in. Um, most years, it's here, we hold it here in California. And um, this year, we really had the team design the latter half of the day. Um, we had them... Um, Come up with. We had them list out the topics that they'd like to talk about, things that they felt were burning items, and then we had them vote on the top four, mm-hmm. and they signed up to to attend those rotational sessions in the afternoon. They those rotational segments were attended by cross-functional, you know, interdepartmental. Um, there were people that were in leadership. Um, Admin, you know, technology, biz- business development, recruitment, sourcing. So they were all across the board. Right. And they, they this was not a senior leadership team talking to um, the rest of the company. It was everybody talking. It was dialogue about issues that mattered to the company. Right. And they, then we took the, the – there were solutions and ideas and concepts and – um, that were brought up in those dis- discussions that as a senior leadership team, we took into our following day, mm-hmm. um, which was just a senior leadership meeting. And we discussed, discussed the ideas and concepts and issues. And we a, a week or two later, we came out with You Spoke, We Listened. And we um, showed them the solutions that we came up with and some of the solutions that they came up with. Um, and so it showed that we really cared as a company uh, about what they had to say
3: right?
2: Um, and that we heard them and again, just that it mattered overall um, and the feedback about that and and that we you know, heard the heard f- heard it from the front lines and right. that they developed it and, and that
1: could be tough to do, even be a little risky because they could come up with a bunch of stuff that you go what is this crap? Right. You know, how do we spend this? I mean, this is just terrible, but you, right. I mean, I guess you maybe know your organization well enough to, to kind of see that they should be capable enough, but I think maybe the the important part of what you just mentioned was that those little groups or pods or whatever they were were having a discussion, as opposed to having someone from the leadership team leading them into discussion, where they're going to sit there and be bobbleheads, right? Mm-hmm. This was an actual. Hey, we picked the topic. We went, we rotated, and we all had these discussions on these things, Right. and it probably. Leads to a much more open and creative type of uh, response.
2: Right. And even if you can't, I mean, th- th- there is some risk because you um, there may be issues that you can't solve, right? Mm-hmm. But the fact that you heard them and you say, well, I can't fix, we can't fix everything right, right now, but we can fix this and this. Right. Right. Um, And we're going to see what we can do about that. And here's why we can't fix these other things. Right. right? So um, and them understanding the bigger picture behind behind the issues and us understanding their perspective that um, that's really meaningful.
1: Right. So I'm assuming that why is Nicole so mean to me was not on the list. It
2: wasn't on the list. Oh, all right. right. Good. Good. Right. <laughs> so that was good.
1: <laughs> you know, from a, a professional development standpoint, uh, is there anyone in your career or your, I should even say, let's go, let's go back to the beginning till now mm-hmm. that you would really look at as being, a, having a huge influence on you and the person you are today, specifically the leader you are today.
2: Yeah. Um, there are several, several someones. Um my, um, I know that people always probably list, list their parents, but
1: it's probably the top answer. Yeah,
2: you know my, my dad was pretty instrumental in that. Um, he was a vice president of a bank when mm-hmm. I was growing up, and always took me into work with him. Um, my first job, uh, my first paying job outside of babysitting, was working in the bookkeeping department of the bank at 14 and 15 years old in the summer. Wow. And he and I would drive to work every morning and we were never late, right? So I'm not going to be late. I'm not going to ever do anything to embarrass my dad at at his work, right? Right. So um, I worked hard. Um, Which is a
1: pretty good thing to have done as a teenager not not to have a...
2: (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) So, sorry. Um, So we drove to work every day and um, we weren't ever late and my parents were also all entrepreneurs. So I learned the value of a dollar Mm -hmm. um, and how to treat clients and customers when they walked in the door um, and how important every single customer was that walked in the door and that's followed me through everything that i've ever done um and over the years i've been really fortunate to work with great people who've allowed me to continuously take on more responsibility Mm -hmm. um who've allowed me to make mistakes and learn from those mistakes um and run with my ideas right Uh, kim and jay at decision toolbox has certainly done that um kim Shepard has probably taught me one of the best lessons is that I don't have to have a- all the answers right to um hire really good people and um she says hire people that are better at things than you are and you know, lean on those people subject matter experts are important and I surround myself with with really sharp people um and a- even as a leadership team and a senior leadership team with our directors we We lean on each other for different areas of expertise.
1: A lot of people have a really hard time with those concepts of, you know, hiring someone who is smarter than you or better than you in a particular area because you need that help, but they don't want to look bad or they don't want to be passed up or they have their own kind of like self-preservation in mind, kind Mm -hmm. of ahead of the the company's success, uh, which generally ends up backfiring on them. Sure. Um, And and then just not having that confidence to, to really bring in uh, those people, or do you just admit that you maybe you aren't so good at, you know, whatever. But the best leaders seem to have that that real understanding of that.
2: Yeah, we see that with hiring managers all the time. They're, you know, they're a little afraid to hire somebody that might be have better skills in a certain area than they yeah. than they do. So.
1: Kim and I could probably have a competition on of making a list of the stuff we're not good at, <laughs> right? But you know, just you find people who are good at those other things and. I, I've told this story on the show a few times, but one of the questions I used to always ask those people at the conferences when I would corner them—the one, the really smart person who gave the speech or, or what have you—was, you know, what what do I do about these things I'm not good at? You know, should I be working on this? And they would always tell me, "Yes, you should always be working on the things you're not good at." I would say, "Great, okay, but what do you do?" They were like, "Oh, I don't, I don't do that. I I get other people to do it for me." Mm-hmm. So there's like this socially accepted answer that you're supposed to be working on the things you're bad at you're supposed to always be working to get better and that might be true in things like your marriage or your friendships or things like that but when it comes to what you're good at for work it seems to not be the right answer the right answer is to find other people mm-hmm. <laughs> who like to do and who are good at the things that you're not so that you can keep shining where you're good at and they can go and be shine where they're good at you know kind of get the impression that in many ways is what successful company does and certainly what decision toolbox does
2: yeah, um, we try to leverage our strengths. Mm-hmm. You know, you um, you lean into you lean into what you're good at. In fact, last year's all staff was, you know, trying to find out what we were really good at. Our our top five themes, you know, and what we were good at. Yeah. Um, and we keep track of those themes and and understanding that, and we kind of look to see what those are in each individual. Um, but you know, my concept is really, you know, don't shy away from those challenging things. Um, try to embrace those, too. Um, but, you know, we've all heard this, this advice, eat an elephant one bite at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this last year, uh, or, or this year, I feel like it's already over, but this year I took up cycling for the first time. Road cycling. And you don't come out of the gate with this, you don't start with a century. Right. Um, you, you start off smaller. So, um, financials in a company are, are not my strength. I really lean on our COO um, and our controller um, to help me understand those. Mm-hmm. Um, but I need to make sure that I'm fully rounded as well and don't shy away from those. So, I've got to get in there and understand them. Um, it's something that I don't like to do, but I've got to embrace that challenge too. So.
1: Yeah. So uh, typically we, we notice that uh, some of our best guests are avid learners and, and really enjoy uh, kind of keeping on top of what's happening and what the, the latest thing is. So I'm I, given what great interview this has been so far, I'm assuming you're going to have a fantastic answer, a lot of pressure. Um w- Tell us, what are you reading right now?
2: Yeah, I was going to say skip that question. <laughs> um, I, it, it's, it's December, and I just finished calibrations with my team for the quarter. Um, it, it's Christmas, so I'm shopping, and con- considering picking up a book that uh, a co-worker gave me normally when I read, it's just for learning. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I don't really do much for, for leisure reading, um, but a co-worker just gave me a book um, called The Red Tent. Okay. So um, I just picked it up last night, and it's. Um, she thought that I would like it because it's a book. Uh, I admire really smart, intriguing women, and that's what it's about. So that's what I know so far. All so right. uh, catch me in January. Um, <laughs> well, I'll, we can
1: always try to convince you to come to the Orange County uh, Executive Book uh, Book Club and you can always read mindset which i've just recently started and has been really really fascinating about just this really simple idea of you know there being a fixed mindset versus a learning mindset
2: yeah i'm looking forward to to, to that
1: yeah it's it's really really been good so
2: i'm a continuous learner i was just i have a 21 year old son and i was just talking to him about you know i've been a a, a lifetime learner mm-hmm.
1: so yeah and, and it doesn't always uh, it's interesting that some of the answers we get from that question. It isn't always a "quote unquote" book. A lot of people read magazines, they read periodicals, they read blog posts. Um, we've had uh, people say, "Well, I have a two-year-old, so I'm reading Dr. Seuss every night." That's all <laughs> you know. We've had just the the real gamut of uh, things. We've had some people that have listed off, and I don't know if they were trying to be impressive or not, but like ten things that they were reading. I mean, just like how could you ever read that much stuff? Right. But there are some people who are just that avid avid readers. I kind of get into one thing like a kind of an idea and i want to read about that um or sometimes and i get a lot of book suggestions my wife every once in a while will clean off the five or six books that i never got to and they just sort of find them find their way somewhere in the house i think mm-hmm. but then there's those other books that, on those topics that you kind of get real fascinated about
2: yeah, this year i joined a, a neuroscience or neuroleadership group um, here in Orange County, neuro leadership, neuro leadership group. That sounds and, interesting.
1: Okay. Um,
2: it's ne- joining neuroscience and leadership, okay. um, and how we react to things. And, uh, it's pretty new to me. Um, but, um, it's, a, it's a newer group in Orange County and, uh, they send out, we meet quarterly and they send out articles, um, for us to read before we meet and, um, so far, they've been very interesting. That sounds fascinating. Yeah, it really is. Well,
1: i have to check that out. Well, I know we're going to take one more commercial break here, and we'll come back and we'll wrap it up with uh, Nicole Cox from uh, Decision Toolbox.
0: When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apple's, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management.
1: Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. We're just wrapping up here our uh, full hour with Nicole Cox from Decision Toolbox. Uh, unfortunately, our second guest, uh, Joe Scotto from the Merrill Corporation, had a last-minute emergency, so she was gracious enough to stick around and uh, talk with us. So I know we had uh, just a couple other questions to to really uh focus in on her with so uh, one of those was did you ever have a painful lesson in your career that you might share with us that maybe we can learn from and not have to repeat your mistake
2: sure so circumstances forced me out on my own as an entrepreneur faster um, than I was ready Um, this was obviously before I came to Decision Toolbox Um, but having the courage to go out on my own um, that experience taught me what I was capable of in Mm -hmm. a time where I was afraid to fail and I learned what I was really good at and what I wasn't. I went into debt. I learned humility and I built that can do muscle and I came out a better person in my opinion on the other side of it. Um, and through all of that, I've had, you know, the privilege to be part of building an organization i I feel like i took the lessons there um into the company that i'm in and you know i've had the privilege of being able to build uh, be part of building an organization that's a dream to most people
1: yeah yeah well you know one of the things that we uh have been talking about doing here is maybe think we can't summarize and come up with some of the best uh points are the best things that maybe you talked about today so mm-hmm. we're going to give this a try we'll, we'll see how it goes but you know some of the things that i was really hearing was about culture about allowing your um employees that kind of that freedom and uh, ability to go out and get their job done and uh, really utilizing people who are, who are strong in particular areas and uh and you know, one of the things that you you said that kind of surprised me and I had never thought about was kind of how most recruiters end up in recruiting but didn't ever really intend to be there. They kind of fall into it. But what were some of the things, the takeaways that maybe uh, you think our listeners uh, ought, to, ought to remember from today?
2: Empowerment. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you empower your employees, they um, will do more than you think they will. I, I think... You know, they they will help take your company to that next level. Yeah. Um, if you trust them, they'll they'll help you go further.
1: Yeah, and that's a really scary concept for a lot of companies. And I think it starts with taking this kind of leap of faith for in the empowerment area. You don't have to completely trust them. I don't think to start off. You can put a lot of you can monitor things and you can kind of watch and see how it's going. But I think if they're showing you that they're doing it right, and if they're not, okay, well then how do we train? How do we recalibrate? How do we, you know, help them? But if you're willing to take that leap and and empower people, I I've never had a successful company come in here or anyone I've ever talked to that that wasn't a part of their DNA.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Whereas the other ones you look at when they're failing or they're struggling, or they're the kind of company that just would never come on this show. They're not empowering anybody. It's micromanagement. It is just over the top control, and and they have high turnover. You know, and they're not they're not really the organizations that anybody wants to work for.
2: It's an exercise that we did at our all staff, um, where I may have said it earlier. I'm not sure, um, but we are a top down, bottom up culture mm-hmm. where you know, we. Um, Kim shared, she's again the CEO of the company, she shared her vision, which is to empower the team to be all that they can be as individuals. Um, And as a leadership team, it's our um, goal to, to set the vision, but we wanted the team to come up with the identity of the company. So we posted nine themes on the wall, innovation, process, community, financial health, communication, growth, empowerment, customer excellence, and personal excellence. We posted those on the walls, and we had them, we had the team members decide um, where they wanted to go, which theme spoke to them the most. Right. And then they went to those places, and they brainstormed to come up with one to two sentences for each of those identities. Um, And by the end of the day, they, uh, or actually by, by the end of about an hour, um, they had um, come up with the identity for our company. And just as an example, empowerment for them was DT is the company that encourages an entrepreneurial approach where questions and ideas are celebrated and where you're given the tools and partnerships for mutual success. So if you that just goes back to what I said. If you empower your team, they will help take you further than you think. Yeah. And yeah. it takes trust
1: yeah a- empowerment and uh certainly a culture of eh, you know wanting to grow wanting to learn wanting to change where the status quo is not what's the right thing necessarily maybe sometimes it is but mm-hmm. you know just by default so uh nicole it's been a real pleasure having you on the show i know we've been trying to get you on for a while um and we're really happy you're able to come in here and uh hopefully you weren't too nervous
2: no i appreciate the invite
4: yeah
1: so uh that's about all the time we have. Don't forget, you can uh, make sure that you uh, reach out. You can go to dtoolbox.com if you want to reach uh, Decision Toolbox and learn more. Um, that's the best place on the website. Or I'm sure you can reach out to Nicole on LinkedIn or anybody else in the, in the company. They'd be happy to help you. Uh, if you don't have a, a, a mountain of extra resumes for people to join your company, then I don't I don't know what... But uh, certainly I'm sure a few people listening to the show will, will be interested. And in, uh, I know anyone out there who's looking to hire uh, would definitely want to use your company if they have the opportunity. Uh, it's certainly been a great op- great uh, experience for us as well. Thank you. Tune in uh, next week uh, for our last show of 2014. We will be taking those last two weeks off, but now our last show will be a, a good one, going out with a bang. Our guests will include Eric uh, Severson. He's the Senior Vice President of HR for GAP. I'm sure you've heard of that company. And also uh, Amber Judge. She's the owner of uh, Creative Lighting Displays. So we have a good mix for you of a head of HR and uh, an entrepreneur out there coming in to talk to you about talent uh, next week. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today.
0: You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2.